Well, if you have a Bible, I encourage you to turn to the book of John. Sorry. Those of you who have been at Treasure in Christ Church for a while, we've been in Romans for a very long time, and I was trying to bait you into saying Romans, and you didn't fall for it. Well done. Either that's because you didn't want to talk or because, yeah, I don't know. John, that's where we're going. John 15. And I am thankful that for these next three weeks, we are going to uh, take a break from our uh, sermon series in the book of Romans, and we're going to spend three weeks uh, discussing uh, prayer. Prayer as rest, prayer as asking, and prayer as hunger. So um, I'll be preaching this week, Pastor Hunter next week, Pastor Ranjur the following week, but taking some time to just stop and to spend some time looking at prayer. After that, we're actually going to have another series, a four-week series on decision-making, what we've entitled Decision-Making Worship and Wisdom. So how we can make decisions in a God-honoring way, what's the Scriptures say about that? We're doing that because there's going to be a lot of people hit or miss over the summer, and we don't want people to miss some of the bulk of the teaching, which is a pretty significant shift between Romans 11 to Romans 12. So we'll dive into Romans 12 starting in August, and we'll finish the book of Romans, Lord willing, by the end of the year. So that's where we're headed, but today we are diving into the book of, uh, no, we're diving into the subject of prayer, uh, looking at the book of John. John chapter 15, verses 5 to 9, I want to read it and then pray. The Word of God says this. I am the vine, you are the branches. This is Jesus speaking. Whoever abides in me, and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers. The branches are gathered, thrown into the fire, and burned. If you abide in Me and My words abide in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. By this My Father is glorified that you bear much fruit and so prove to be My disciples. As the Father has loved Me, so I loved you. Abide in my love. Let's pray. Father, we are helpless to change our own hearts, to control outcomes that are pleasing to You. And so, Father, my prayer is that we would Acknowledge You are here. And You love us. You are always for us, Your children. And I ask that because You invite us, what an amazing command to rest, to sit, to abide in Your love. I just ask that You would give us as a people a desire, and an experience of rest in the love of Jesus. 
Thank you. Thank you for the power of your word, the power of the gospel, and the surety of all of your promises. You're here. Have your way with us, I pray. Change us all, in Jesus' name. Amen. This week, we had a summer camp, Loving the City Backyard Bible Club at our church property, and it was a wonderful time. We had a kids camp for kindergarten through fifth grade, and then we had um, also a construction camp for teenagers. And I just, Hunter has already said it, but I just wanted to say how thankful to God I am for all of you that volunteered, thankful that you Many of you sent your children, and I'm just thankful that we got to love on both kids from Treasure in Christ Church, but also from the surrounding neighborhoods, and it was just a great time to hear the good news of Jesus proclaimed in what some might call simple ways, but I found them quite profound. One of the uh, opportunities that I had was to run sound for the opening assembly, and as I was out there, I got to observe from a distance um, this wonderful time when a group of teenagers um, and Annie Locke led this time of singing and all the kids were singing and learning songs, songs of great spiritual truths. So I wanted to play one for you. So uh, hopefully it'll come out okay. It was uh, recorded on my phone, but I want you to listen. Read your Bible, pray every day. And you'll grow, grow, grow. And you'll grow, grow, grow. And you'll grow, grow, grow. Read your Bible, pray every day. And you'll grow, grow, grow. But neglect your Bible, forget to pray, forget to pray. Forget to pray. Neglect your Bible. Forget to pray. You'll shrink. And you'll shrink, shrink, shrink. It's hard to shrink much lower. I was so encouraged. Isn't it simple? That's Christian growth. Sometimes it's almost frustrating how simple it is. Sometimes we wish it were more complicated. We, we, if we did more things, if, if it were something that was more creative, then that would be Christian growth. Christian growth is read your Bible, pray every day, and you'll grow. 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 Why? 
Not because you're doing an action, but because you're communing with a person. God promises to be in His Word. And God says that when you pray, you're actually communicating to a God who loves you and you are listening and receiving His love. Summer can signify a lot of things, can't it? For many of us, it has an effect on me like snow days, you know. I look forward to snow days, and it's okay that there's snow, and I do have fun playing with my kids, but what I look forward to about snow days is the chance that we might be off. That's what I love about snow days. Summer has got the same kind of effect. When you hear summer, you think pools, you think vacation days, you think cookouts, you feel this extra craving for rest. None of that's wrong. But many times, what that means is also an extra relaxing on the certain disciplines, and more importantly, the relaxing spiritually in your relationship to God. Summers cannot simply be dry times for crops, but dry times for the soul. Sometimes we believe this. I have been so guilty. If we eat enough good food, watch enough TV or movies, get enough vacation days in the right setting, we will finally have the rest we need. But the rest we all crave is not just seasonally provided, but it's every day. And it's not predicated upon good circumstances, but a good Savior. How do we have rest? Rest that gives us peace even when the responsibilities and deadlines exist. Rest that grips the heart even when people think poorly of you or people might have betrayed you or are against you. A rest when you don't know what is next or you've lost someone dear to you, but you still have a rest of soul. It's a rest that accompanies your soul when the plate is full your to-do list is large, or you could even lose your job. Rest. In order for us to have rest, we've got to be convinced that rest is not in a place. Rest is a person. Rest is Jesus. And if you look at the pages of John 15, the image that is being pressed upon us is life is found in Jesus, and we are commanded to rest or abide in Him. We have to be reminded, rest is not bound up in perfect conditions, but in being with and knowing a perfect Christ. And so when we step into this summer, we just have to have the warning flag, but we also have to have the flag of invitation. Don't just look at this as something that's negative, like a killjoy. This is an invitation to swim in the love of God for you to experience a rest that will always supersede the rest that can cost a lot of money. And so as we approach this summer, I just pray that over these next three weeks, we would be excited, convinced of our need for, 
and take God up on the invitation to pray. To pray. I'm just pleading with God and have been that we would see prayer not as a task on our list or an optional activity that really the only the strong do, but that prayer as necessary. Like Dane Ortland says, it's like breathing. It's rest with Jesus. So, look at John 15 with me. Look at John 15. I've just read it. Verses 5 to 9. I want you to notice first three things. Three things. Number one, our spiritual life is only possible when we are in Jesus. Look at verse 5. These are not the points of the sermon. I'm just laying out three observations from this text. So, look at the text. Verse 5. Our spiritual life is only possible when we are in Jesus. He says, I am the vine, you are the branches. Why does he choose this plant imagery? It's meant to communicate life growth. He says, I'm the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me, that means is connected to me, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. Which makes a lot of sense. If you've got a vine, or you could say like a tree, if you cut the branch off and it's laying on the ground, it will not be sustained on its own. Which is what you read in verse 6. Anything that's not attached to the vine, it'll be cut off and burned because it's dead. It's, it's not alive. That's why I say the first observation is spiritual life is only possible when we are in Jesus. Abiding in Jesus. Resting in Jesus. That's a present tense verb where it says abide in me. It means continues to abide. It's just the way you live. Right? It's it's okay if a branch is here for a moment, but then you cut it off, it's still going to die. It's a continual abiding. Second observation, verse 5, the very end. I just read it. Apart from Jesus, we can do what? Nothing. Apart from Jesus, we can do nothing. Hopefully you see that. It's literally what the text says. Apart from me, you can do nothing. What does that mean? It means we can do nothing that makes us have eternal life. You might say, well, hold it just a second. I can do a lot of things. I got here on my own. I go to work on my own. Provide, like, I can do a lot of things. I have a strong mind. I have a strong body. I have talents. I have money. I can do a lot of things. This says... You can't do anything with spiritual power leading to spiritual life for you or others without Jesus. You can do a lot of things that lead to your destruction, but you can do nothing that gives spiritual power and leads to eternal life in your life or in the lives of others. The lesson is we are helpless without him can you say that one word helpless we are helpless without him point one spiritual life is only possible when we are in jesus point two apart from him we can do nothing that means we are helpless without him now look at verse look at verse seven and this gets us our third point the third point is helpless people pray where do i get that look at verse seven if you abide in me 
and my words abide in you. That's language for you've trusted in Him for the forgiveness of your sins. You have confessed that you're a sinner and cannot save yourself, right? Apart from Me, you can do nothing, Jesus says. You've confessed that. And you're like this. You're not trying to give to God something in order that you might be saved. You're like this. Hands wide open. Your only posture is receiving. God, change me. That's the abiding He's talking about. If you abide in me and you receive my words, it's, it's code word for you're my child. He says this, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. What did he just shift to? Prayer. You get it? Helpless people, those who say, apart from me I can do nothing, ask. They're praying people. And so, here's the point that I want to begin with. This is the first point of the sermon, which is helpless people pray. Helpless people pray. Helplessness is the prerequisite for prayer. If you are not needy, you will not ask. The prerequisite for prayer is weakness, not strength. It's neediness, not sufficiency. It is helplessness. And if you believe Jesus and take Him at His word, then we have to be able to say, apart from you, Jesus, we can do nothing. And He tells us that should lead us to being a praying people. Because we're helpless. Helpless people pray. Now there are some areas of life where it's really clear that we're helpless, right? If I go to lift weights, put a thousand pounds on there, Sean, go for it. I am helpless to make any progress at all on that goal. I would love to play in the NBA or maybe even in the NFL. That would be a lot of fun. I am helpless to make that happen. Any of you have seen my attempts at those sports, you would say, yes, you are helpless to make that happen. I'm also helpless in more serious things. I look at where we've adopted two children from in Ethiopia, and I see that I am helpless to stop global famine. I'm helpless to stop civil wars. I'm helpless to prevent all suffering. I'm helpless to stop cancer. More fundamentally to everyday life, I'm helpless to change my heart. I'm helpless to change my wife's heart, my kid's heart, your heart. I'm helpless if you follow the theme. I'm helpless to change hearts. I can't do it. Neither can you. And I'm helpless to know and guarantee the future. I'm helpless. I can't do it. And initially, when you hear the word helpless in our culture, it's almost like I cursed at you. Because self-sufficiency, self-autonomy is the gospel of our age. But it is not the good news, it's the problem. Here's the issue. When you hear you're helpless, you are tempted to buy into the lie that the world pitches you, which is that means you are not significant. You aren't worthy. You aren't valuable. 
But if all of a sudden we don't buy into that narrative, but we actually take Jesus at His word, all of a sudden we realize our worth and value is not attached to what we do or accomplish. Do you even hear that helplessness, it shoots at the pride of us being able to accomplish something. So when that's threatened, we don't feel as valuable. But what if our value was not attached to our doing, but our being? What if our value was attached to who we are connected to, namely Jesus? We're made in His image. It totally flips it upside down. You are valuable. You are worth it. You are valued. You are a treasured possession. No matter what you've been told by others, no matter how much criticism you've received, you can say these preciously powerful words, I'm helpless, but I'm treasured. I'm helpless, but I'm loved. That's the good news. God demonstrated. He demonstrated. He knew that you and I would struggle to believe this. He knew that you and I would fall prey to the greatest disease that we could experience, which is trusting in ourselves. He knew that is our inclination. And so what did He do? God demonstrated His love for us. And that while we were sinners, while we were weak, you could put in, while we were helpless, Christ died for us. Hear this. No words said about you will get louder than the words Jesus uttered on the cross when He says, it is finished. He did that. And your value and identity is attached to those words, not the words of anybody else. No action that hurt you will undo the hurt that Jesus suffered for you to communicate you are helpless to save yourself, but you are forever loved. Helpless, but loved. If you ever struggle with that world, go to the cross and look at our Savior. If you're ever told false things, look at Jesus' words. If you ever experience deep hurt, look at the hurt that He suffered in your place so that you would know in your hurt you're never alone and instead you are loved. Friends, this is the worldview that leads us to being a praying people. Because if you admit you're helpless then you've got to look somewhere for help, right? Isn't that what's embedded in the Word? Help less, I need more help. Where are you going to go to get help? You'll pray. Please. You've been shown too many times how your ultimate trust cannot be in one another. Even your dearest friends who love you the deepest will always let you down because they're not Jesus. So helplessness is meant to lead you first and foremost to prayer. In Paul Miller's book, A Praying Life, he quotes someone who said this at his prayer seminar. I'll, I'll read the quote for you. It says, Paul Miller says this, God wants us to come to Him empty-handed, 
weary and heavy laden. Instinctively, we want to get rid of our helplessness before we come to God. That's the performance mentality. If I keep the law, then He'll help me. God helps those who help themselves. All that's wrong. Helpless is where we need to be. He said one participant of our prayer seminar put it this way. I'm starting to see the difference between saying prayers and honest praying. Both can sound the same on the outside. But the former, that is saying prayers, is too often motivated by just this sheer sense of obligation and guilt. I don't pray enough, I better go pray. You know, we've all been there. But he says the latter, that is honest praying, is motivated by a conviction that I am completely helpless to do life on my own. Or in the case of praying for others, that I'm completely helpless to help others without the grace and power of God. Helpless people pray. Paul Miller goes on to say that we receive Jesus not because we're strong, but because we're weak. And that's how we also follow Him. Listen to this verse in Colossians 2.4. The same quote. He says, Therefore, as you receive Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in Him. Now just think about that. How did you receive Jesus? It was not you telling Him how strong you were and how you had it together. That's not how one gets saved. It's the sick who need a physician, not the healthy. It's those who are sinners that Jesus befriends. If you aren't saying you're a sinner, then you can't be saved. So how did you receive Jesus? It's when you said, I'm a sinner, unable to fix my life. I am helpless. Apart from you, Jesus, I can do nothing. Save me. And he says, that's how you keep following him. Paul Miller ends the quote by saying, we forget that helplessness is how the Christian life works. <laughs> but Paul Miller also said this. He says, I'm allergic to helplessness. And I feel it. I feel it. How many times have I gone through my day, gotten through the end, realized how anxious I have been, but also realized how I have just not remembered Jesus throughout my day. I was reading a book called The Emotionally Healthy Leader by Peter Cesaro, and he emphasized what it looks like to have loving communion with Jesus. And one of the things that he said became a regular practice for him was seeking to stop in the middle of the day and pray. And so I began to set an alarm on my phone that it would remind me to stop and to pray, to just sit still and to acknowledge what many times I have not acknowledged for the first four or five hours of my day and this is usually what I say, Jesus, you're here. Father, I am your child. Make me indifferent to my will and help me to say with Jesus, not my will, but yours be done. And I sit there in silence for a minute. Those are my good days. Other days, the alarm goes off and I hit stop and move on. We were in a Bible study uh, with our equip group over the summer, and one uh, guy said that he sets an alarm for 101 for the same purpose. So, you ask my family, they'll hear an alarm go off of my phone, and no matter what time it is, if they've been totally oblivious of time, they'll say, is it 101? Yes, I will. It is 101. The point is this. 
I can go through a whole day allergic to being helpless. But when I stop and I acknowledge God's presence and I just ask for help, it is remarkable the transformation it has, not necessarily on outside circumstances, but on my inside heart. I'm also sometimes allergic to helplessness in my marriage. There's times when in our marriage, Dana and I have not seen eye to eye. We have been frustrated with each other. We've been married for 24 years. Next year will be 25. And yes, amen, hallelujah, praise Jesus. Anybody who's been married longer than like six months will realize that you don't always see eye to eye. There are struggles. But there are seasons when we can be convinced in our marriage. I can be convinced she's my biggest problem and she can be convinced I'm her biggest problem. And man, we are just... How do you solve that? Well, if you're not helpless, usually what that means is you usually have more words. Words with sometimes more volume. Or, if your bent is not to talk, it can be silent treatment. These are the things we do when we don't acknowledge we're helpless. But, there was one time, I remember, where we were really struggling and I was realizing that my words were not making headway. And God convicted me that I was more confident in my words than I was in Him. And so I stopped and I prayed. And I just committed that I would continue to pray, but I would start listening to her and seeking to respect her more than I was, valuing her opinion, and I would pray for the things that I felt burdened about for change. Two things happened. One, we regularly go on walks. When we would go on a walk, there were times unsolicitedly she would say almost verbatim what I had been praying for her. But she said, God has been teaching me this about myself. And I just wanted to share that with you as my friend. But you know the second thing that happened when I prayed? This is the larger thing. I changed. I began to realize I wasn't listening to her well. I began to realize how confident I was in my words. I began to realize how I was not valuing her emotions, but I was scared of them. I realized all kinds of things that I was struggling with, and I had to go to her and say, Honey, God has been convicting me that I haven't been treating you well. I haven't been listening to you well. Would you forgive me? Do you see what prayer did when I finally said, my words can't change. We can't change each other. I chose to pray. To stop and to pray. Helpless spouses, helpless parents are the best spouses and the best parents. They pray and they trust in God's ability. It's not that words are immaterial. It's not that you don't use words, but you're quick to listen, slow to speak. And slow to anger. Helpless students are the best students. 
Not because they let go and let God. I'm not going to study. I'm going to pray. Nope, it's not how it rolls. Marriage has got a lot of hard work. Parenting has got a lot of hard work. Students, you got to do a lot of hard work. But how many times have you sat there before that exam? I can say this now because most of you are post the trauma of exams right now. You sat there in that exam and that's the first time you prayed. <laughs> oh God, I never studied for anything. I got to have help. The best students are helpless students who every time they sit down to study say, God, you've got to help me get this in my brain. I can't do this. The ones that sit down when the test starts and they say, oh God, help me. Help bring to mind what I've studied. When you fall asleep and you're a student, you say, oh God, help me to have the energy to study. When you're stuck on a problem, you say, oh God, help me. I can't remember this right now. I pray that you'll bring it back to mind. This is what helplessness sounds like. And I will say this. The best counselors are helpless counselors. It doesn't mean they don't have tools. It doesn't mean that they're not educated. But it's the counselors who understand their limits. I cannot change your heart. Those are the ones you want to sit with. The ones that say, I need Jesus. I need Him to give me wisdom. Spurgeon says this, don't pray more than five minutes, but don't go five minutes without praying. Those are some laws that I don't necessarily, if you pray for six or seven or ten or thirty minutes, that's not his point. His point is, don't pray more than five minutes is to take those people who just pray to be heard. But don't go more than five minutes without praying is to counter those people who don't do all of life in a spirit of prayer. Helpless people pray. But I just want you to hear this. Although we are helpless, we are not hopeless. That's the second idea. Helpless people pray. We are all helpless. We are helpless people and we must acknowledge it. If we acknowledge it, we'll be a praying people. But just because you say you're helpless doesn't mean that you are hopeless. We are helpless, but we are not hopeless. I just want you to know, I get this from John 15 as well. The fourth observation from John 15, if you still have your Bible there, would be found in verse 9. As the Father has loved the Son, perfect forever eternal, no ounce of anything tainted at all. As the Father has loved the Son, so has the Son loved you and me. And so then He says, abide, find rest in My love. So let's put it together. Helpless people, apart from me, you can do nothing. They become a praying people. Verse 7, if you abide in me, you will ask. And then he says that when you're abiding in me, you're actually abiding and resting in my love for you. My full, unfiltered affection for you. So therefore, I put the word hope on it. If I know I have the steadfast, immovable untainted by sin, love of God for me, then I want to be there. 
And that's what I want you to have when you think about prayer. It is the stepping into the love of God. Our view of God can sometimes keep us from wanting to be with Him. But I want you to see what He says. Not, I love you when you perform well. It is, I love you. And even when you have sinned, you bring all of that mess to me. I love you. Why is there hope when we pray? Because when we pray, the love of the Savior is there. Jesus is there. Abiding in His love, resting in His love is resting in Jesus. So therefore, there is hope. You and I need hope when we go to pray. And this might be how you pray. If you are afraid, afraid of death, or you have walked through with someone who has died, you pray Psalm 23, verse 4, which says, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I don't have to be afraid of this moment because you are what? Can you finish it? With me. With me. This is why This is why we can stand up underneath the fear of death or underneath any fear that we face is because we know that He is with us. And if He's with us in love, as John 15 says, then even though we're helpless, we're not hopeless. If you have marital strife or financial trouble, look at Hebrews 13.5 when it says, I, when Jesus speaks, He says, I will never leave you nor forsake you. And it's in the context of marital strife or financial struggles. How do you pray in those moments? You pray, I acknowledge your presence. I acknowledge your love. I acknowledge that you are fully for me. And even though this feels impossible, I am helpless. I give it to you, God. But I have hope because you are with me. I have hope because You are with me. You will never leave me nor forsake me. Even if I've made a lot of mistakes financially. Even if I've made a lot of mistakes in my marriage. Bring that helplessness. Bring that brokenness to the Lord. And trust Him as your provider. Dear friends, the greatest thing about prayer is that you get to know a person. You get to know Jesus. and To be with Him. That is how prayer is rest. Prayer is rest because you are with a person. Rest is not a circumstance. Rest is not leaning on somebody else to give you what only God can give you. Rest is found in communing with Jesus in prayer. So, the first idea is that helpless people pray. The second idea is that we are helpless, but we are not hopeless because Jesus is with us when we pray. When we pray, we are with Jesus. And so, I just want to end here with this idea that prayer, this abiding in Jesus, that is where rest is found. It is communing with Him. So when we look at our summers, when we look at what's coming up, 
we would put all of these wonderful gifts like pools and cookouts and vacation days and freedom from the responsibility of work in their proper perspective. Enjoy those gifts fully, but spend time communing with God in prayer and find rest for your soul. How does prayer give us rest? I want to show you a few examples from the Scriptures. Prayer is rest for the helpless. That's the last idea. Prayer is rest for the helpless. Because it's in prayer where the sinful find refreshment. One of the barriers to prayer is that you don't feel worthy to pray. You feel like tainted goods. And so our bent is to not say, I'm helpless, God save me. It's to fix ourselves up and then go. But here's how I want you to view prayer. That in prayer, it's where the sinful find refreshment. Look at Acts chapter 3, verses 19 and 20. The Bible says this, Repent, therefore, and turn back. One of my favorite verses. It struck me at sabbatical. Repent, therefore, and turn back, that your sins may be blotted out, that what? Times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord. That's prayer. Repenting of your sins to God. Walking into His presence tainted with sin and saying, I am guilty. Oh God, I have made this mistake. I am helpless. I need You. It is that kind of prayer that finds not anger and hatred and get away from me, but it finds refreshment in the presence of the Lord. So prayer is rest because it's where the sinful find refreshment. Refreshment would be another word for rest. It's another word for just finding this, this contentment of soul. This encouragement when you're discouraged. Hope when you're hopeless. So prayer is where the sinful find refreshment. Prayer is also where the fearful find peace. Listen to this verse. Philippians chapter 4, verses 5-7. through seven. You might have heard the verse like this. Don't be anxious about anything, but in everything with prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And the peace of God which passes all understanding will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. I said it fast because I learned it as a kid. And as a kid, I prided myself. Isn't that an oxymoron, right? You pride yourself in Scripture memory. That's how broken my heart is at times. But I could say it so quickly. But you know what I missed? The few words right before that part starts. You know what those words are? The Lord is at hand. Or the Lord is near. He's with you. Therefore, don't be anxious. Dear friends, if your future is up to you and on your shoulders, the right response is anxiety. I got a newsflash for you. You should be anxious if it depends on you. Anxiety is the right response to the fact that you're out of control. 
So the only way you deal with anxiety is to go to the one who's not out of control. The one who is always with you. So that's what he's saying here. You can move from fear to peace when you acknowledge that the Lord is near. You're out of control. And what does it say? Don't be anxious about anything. And you're like, I could give you a list of a thousand things on why I'm anxious. And he's like, well, you should be anxious if you're in control, but I'm in control and I'm near. So what do you do in everything in prayer and supplication with thanksgiving? Present your request to God and the result, he will give you peace because your trust is shifting through prayer. Your trust is shifting from I've got to fix this to you are the great fixer. And even if everything that I am fearing, even if everything that I'm fearing comes true, here's what also will come true. God is only doing good to me and He will never leave me. So we don't fear. Prayer is the place where we can move not just from sinfulness to refreshment, but from fearfulness to peace. This week my daughter had... Uh, a surgery Thursday, a week ago. So it's a little over a week now. She had surgery on a torn ACL. And my community group so encouraged us. We have a community group thread and they were sending texts on how they were praying for us. And I was just, some of the prayers that they sent, I just tell you, were so from the Lord. Just such an encouragement to strengthen us. But here's what happened 24 hours before the surgery was supposed to happen. They sent us a confirmation email maybe a month beforehand that the surgery was going to be on June 16th. My wife had not heard from them, so she picks up the phone and calls them. Can you tell us a little more about surgery tomorrow? Silence. She was not on the books. Confirmation email, she's not on the schedule. What? We've rearranged our whole lives for this surgery to happen, gearing up for this surgery to happen. And so finally, they worked it out to where Mercy could be put on the schedule. That's my daughter's name. And as she goes into surgery, or as they tell us what the plan will be, it's this. She's going to be moved out of the surgery center into Duke, Maine Hospital. Which, for those of you who don't know, my daughter was diagnosed with an autoimmune disease and we've been treated at Duke Hospital, but that hospital carries with it a lot of kind of emotional trauma. And so the surgery center was a good thing for us. And we were encouraged by that. So now it's moved to the place we didn't want to be. Then also the surgery was moved from what we thought would be the morning to the last surgery of the day, which, you know, is, I'm thinking, worst case scenario, okay, how many surgeries is this surgeon doing? He's going to be dog tired. How's this thing going to roll? And so we just sent out this SOS to pray that the surgery would be moved up somehow and that this would be moved to, back to the other place. We were just not looking forward to the next day of surgery. We go to bed. We wake up the next morning. We get a call at 10 a.m. And it was from a nurse or a receptionist. I'm not sure which one. And she says, this never happens. But we've had somebody who can't make their surgery this morning. Can you come in in an hour? <laughs> okay. And 
if you come in in an hour, it'll be moved from Duke Main Hospital back to the surgery center. Friends, I don't believe in coincidences. I don't believe in chance. And I don't believe in luck. I believe in a sovereign God who is providential. And sometimes His providence says, no, not now. And other times His providence says, look at what I just did. And He did that through the prayers of His people. Moved her surgery up and relocated it. God hears our prayers. So prayer can move from fearfulness to peace. But prayer can also be the place where we move from weakness to strength. You know, it was in 2 Corinthians chapter 12 where you heard the famous passage of Paul pleading three times for this thorn in the flesh to be taken away. He's pleading with God, which is what we call what? Prayer, right? So he's praying, and he prayed not once, not twice, but three times for this thorn in the flesh to be taken away. Many think it was a physical malady, poor eyesight, difficult see, difficulty seeing, whatever it was. He asked three times for it to be taken away, and the Lord said what? No. He said, I'm not going to take it away. He says instead, my grace is sufficient for you. Look at the passage. He said, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. I just want you to know, sometimes you will pray, and you will pray specifically, and you will pray with faith, and you could even be praying with the right motives, but the Lord will say, this is not best for you. I just want you to make sure that you translate rightly the no's of the Lord. Because they are actually yeses to what your heart is really crying out for. You've got to be able to process when the Lord says wait, when He says no, when He says not now, when He says it's different. Do not indict Him of being unloving, but celebrate Him as being all wise and all present and all good. We've got to be so careful. And Paul says what we can say in the midst of our greatest tragedy is we can say what Jesus says to Paul, my grace is sufficient for you. You face that difficult job, you can say, God, I believe your grace is sufficient. You can face that difficult situation relationally, God, your grace is sufficient. And what can happen is you actually see weakness as an opportunity For God to show off His strength. Many times that's why God says not now or no. It's so that in your weakness, He shows up on the scene to show that He's not weak. That His strength is made perfect. Some of you, when things are going really well, You feel like there's a nearness of the Lord. There's a thankfulness. Prayer life might even increase. But then I was talking to one dear brother and he says, I was doing so well. Things are going so well. He was getting ready to prepare for a vacation. It looked like he was going to coast into vacation. And he got two or three unannounced projects and things just blew up. And he was overwhelmed. 
And as he was just sharing with me, first of all, this is, this is what he just started sharing and it just overwhelmed and all this stuff started coming. And I just looked at him and said, you're not crazy. That's a lot. And left to you, it's going to be impossible for you to get all this done. So I don't have the answer for what this week is going to look like, but I just want to stop and I want to pray with you. Because I said, sometimes God allows us to have these moments of rest, like maybe some of you will take a nap on a couch this afternoon. That's a gift from Jesus. Some of you are going to lay down tonight and you'll get eight hours of sleep. That's a wonderful thing. But life is not just about taking naps and sleeping, right? It's about getting up and doing things. And sometimes we've got to go exercise, don't we? And you've got to exercise. It's good for your body. Sometimes God gives us opportunities for spiritual exercise. It's in those kind of weeks when everything comes out of the blue. So that what we will do is not simply pray at the beginning of the day, but learn that we need Him to make this meeting shorter. We need Him to make these clients less demanding. We need Him to get this project done. We need Him to bring relational peace. We need Him to solve this problem that is so much bigger than ourselves. We need Him because we're helpless. And if we admit we're helpless and we pray, that's when we move from weakness to strength. So dear friends, in prayer, I want you to hear these final words. Where the weary find rest, Jesus says, come to me. Come to me. All who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. So may we pray. Because we're helpless. But may we pray with hope. Because when we pray, we collide with a wonderful, loving Savior. Let's pray. Father in heaven, I ask that you would draw near to us in this moment. And I ask that you would help us to admit that we are helpless. Apart from you. But we are not hopeless. Because you are with us. And I ask that God, it would lead us to find prayer as the place of rest. Because it's there where we get to meet with you. I pray that you would deliver us from the mechanics, that it's simply just checking off a box, and that, God, what you would do is set us free. Oh, God, I plead that we would be characterized as a church that prays. Not because we have it together, but because we're helpless. And that, what would happen, the ripple effects of this moment right here would be that we would wake up and that we would be people that pray. We would read our Bible and pray every day because we grow, grow, grow. Father, I ask, I ask that you would make us a helpless but not hopeless people who pray. And would you there help us to find rest for our souls. Before we sing, I want you to Take some time to put this into practice. There'll be a slide if you need some help and guidance through a time of prayer. But pick an emotion that you're feeling of weariness or fearfulness or sinfulness. And move from the theoretical to actually praying. 
Take one of those emotions and acknowledge that God is right there with you. That He is your Father and you are His child. And tell Him that you know He loves you. And then tell Him, I come to you whatever the emotion is. I come to you weary. I come to you overwhelmed by sin. I come to you fearful. I come to you weak physically or spiritually. Admit to Him, apart from you, I can do nothing. But also declare His power to change. Spend some time in prayer. Take your heart to the Lord. He loves you. This is how we can fulfill the command of verse 9. Abide in His love. So let's pray and then we will sing.